Chapter 6 of Insect Adventures. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joshua Gall. The Leaf Cutting Bee. If you know how to use your eyes in your garden, you may observe, some day or other, a number of curious holes in the leaves of the lilac and rose trees, some of them round, some of them oval as if idle but skilful hands had been at work with the pinking iron. In some places there is scarcely anything but the veins of the leaves left. The author of the mischief is a gray-clad bee. For scissors she has her jaws. For compasses she has her eye and the pivot of her body. The pieces cut out are made into thimble-shaped bags, meant to contain the honey and the egg. The larger, oval pieces make the floor and sides. The smaller, Round pieces are kept for the lid. The leafcutter's nest consists of a row of a dozen, more or less, of these thimbles, placed one on top of the other. One species of the leafcutting bee whom we will notice is called the white-girdled leafcutter. She usually takes for her dwelling the tunnel of some earthworm opening off a clay bank. The tunnel is too deep for her purpose. At the bottom of it, the climate is too damp, and besides, when the bee grub is hatched, it would be dangerous for it to have to climb so far through all sorts of rubbish to reach the surface. The leafcutter, therefore, uses only the front part of the worm's gallery, seven or eight inches at the most. What is to be done with the rest of the tunnel? It would never do to leave it open, because some underground burglar, a worm or other insect, might come that way and attack the cells at the rear. The little bee foresees this danger. She sets to work to block the passage with a strong barricade of fragments of leaves, some dozens of pieces rolled into screws and fitting into each other. You can see that the insect has cut out these pieces carelessly and hurriedly, and on a different pattern from that of the pieces which are to make the nest. Next after the barricade of leaves comes the row of cells, usually about five or six in number. These are made of round and oval pieces, as we have seen, oval for the sides, round for the lid. There are two sizes of ovals, the larger ones for the outside and the bottom of the bag, the smaller ones for the inside to make the walls thicker and fill up the gaps. The leafcutter therefore is able to use her scissors according to the task before her. She makes large or small pieces as they are needed. She is especially careful about the bottom of the bag. As the natural curve of the larger pieces is not enough to make a cup without cracks in it, the bee improves the work with two or three small ovals applied to the holes. The cover of the pot consists solely of round pieces, and these are cut so exactly by the careful bee that the edges of the cover rest upon the brim of the honey bag. No one could do better with the help of compasses. When the row of cells is finished, the entrance to the gallery must be blocked up with a safety stopper. The bee then returns to the free and easy use of her scissor jaws, which we noticed at the beginning when she was fencing off the back part of the earthworm's too deep burrow. She cuts out of the foliage irregular pieces of different shapes and sizes. And with all these pieces, very few of which fit at all closely the opening to be blocked, she succeeds in making a door which cannot be forced open thanks to the huge number of layers. Let us leave the leaf cutter to finish laying her eggs and consider for a moment her skill as a cutter. 
What model does she use when cutting her neat ovals out of the delicate robinia leaves, which she uses for her cells? What pattern that she carries in her mind guides her scissors? What system of measurement tells her the correct size? One would like to picture the insect as a living pair of compasses, able to trace curves by swaying her body, even as our arm traces a circle by swinging from shoulder to shoulder. This explanation might do if she made only one size of oval, but she makes two, large and small. A pair of compasses which changes its radius of its own accord and alters the curve according to the plan before it appears to me an instrument somewhat difficult to believe in. Besides, the bee cuts out round pieces also. These rounds, for the most part, fit the mouth of her jar almost exactly. When the cell is finished, the bee flies hundreds of yards away to make the lid. She arrives at the leaf from which the round pieces are to be cut. What picture, what recollection has she of the pot to be covered? Why, none at all. She has never seen it. She does her work underground in utter darkness. At the utmost, she can only remember how it felt. And yet the circular piece to be cut out must be of a certain size. If it were too large, it would not go in. If too small, it would close badly. It would slip down on the honey and suffocate the egg. The bee does not hesitate a moment. She cuts out her circle as quickly as she would cut out any shapeless piece. And that circle, without further measurement, is of the right size to fit the pot. Who can explain this geometry? One winter evening, as we were sitting around the fire, whose cheerful blaze unloosed our tongues, I put the problem of the leaf cutter to my family. Among your kitchen utensils, I said, you have a pot in daily use, but it has lost its lid, which was knocked over and broken by the cat playing on the shelves. Tomorrow is market day, and one of you will be going to Orange to buy the week's provisions. Would she undertake, without a measure of any kind, with the sole aid of memory, which we would allow her to refresh by a careful examination of the object before starting, to bring back exactly what the pot wants, a lid neither too large nor too small, in short, the same size as the top? It was admitted with one accord that nobody would accept such a commission without taking a measure with her, or at least a bit of string giving the width. Our memory for sizes is not accurate enough. She would come back from the town with something that might do, and it would be the merest chance of this turned out to be the right size. Well, the leaf-cutting bee is even less well-off than ourselves. She has no mental picture of her pot, because she has never seen it. She is not able to pick and choose in the crockery dealer's heap, which acts as something of a guide to our memory by comparison. She must, without hesitation, far away from her home, cut out a disc that fits the top of her jar. What is impossible to us is child's play to her. Where we could not do without a measure of some kind, a bit of string, a pattern, or a scrap of paper with figures upon it, the little bee needs nothing at all. In housekeeping matters, she is cleverer than we are. The insect excels us in practical geometry. I look upon the leafcutter's pot and lid as an addition to the many other marvels of instinct that cannot be explained by mechanics. I submit it to the consideration of science, and I pass on. End of chapter. Recording by Joshua Gall.